have read about the Amish belief. And I understand <clears throat> they're like the belief that I was raised in, the Baptist belief in many ways. They don't use tobacco, they don't curse, and they don't use alcohol. And for the life of me, I can't see how an Amish would be here this morning. <laughs> but nevertheless, we have a very wonderful speaker, and I have been warned to tell you to listen closely because he has a, a, an attribute of mind that when he gets carried away with his sincerity, he talks so fast, sometimes you'll miss what he says, that he is so enthused, and he's got such a message to deliver to us. So without anything else, I'll give us Moses. He talked like I was somebody. I'm just another old soap trying to stay sober one day at a time. But I am one. And that's the greatest thing in my life, for me to know that I am an alcoholic and do something about it. Just to know that I am an alcoholic is not enough. I could go to a doctor for an ailment, whatever it may be, but, uh, and he gives me pills and medicine, but if I don't take them, I'd be of no avail. Well, this morning, I'm not going to give you a long story to tell you how to get drunk or how to sober up. You know that or you wouldn't be here. The thing we're mostly concerned about is how to stay sober. How to enjoy life without a bottle. To me, that's the whole secret in a nutshell. How to enjoy it. I thought life was unbearable without alcohol. What would I do if I couldn't drink? This program teaches me how to stop from starting again. I'm not proud of the past. I hang my head in shame looking back over the past, the things that I've done, or the amount of alcohol that I drank, but all I can do about the past is admit my wrongs and go on. Why should I try to pull today's load with yesterday's dead horse? <laughs> That's what over the dam. But I'm not going to close this back door completely on the past. I want to keep myself reminded. One man said I want to go down memory lane once in a while. Another writer said, I'm not going to take the... <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to take the path for a hitching post, but for a guiding post. I like that. So I don't want to forget that. And I'll be an alcoholic as long as I live. There's no getting around it. The big book says if I have both legs cut off, I cannot grow new legs. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Last summer, I took a man to charity hospital in Cleveland. They told me about 20 minutes before I got there, a man walked out that was hospitalized with 25 years of sobriety under his belt. That's the ridicule of the man. Just to bring you out fact, there's a story in the big book of a man who was in business. An alcohol got him down. For 25 years, he didn't drink with his self-determination. At the age of 55, he had it made financially, so he took a drink. Four years later, the man was dead. So once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. There's no getting around it. If I live till the 7th day of June, I'll be 60 years old. If I stay sober till the 4th day of June, by the grace of God and the help of you wonderful people in this schoolroom of AA... It will be one day at a time, 20 years till I have my last drink. One day at a time. Not that I'm more than anyone else, God forbid. So I'm going to give you a few high points to prove to you that I am an alcoholic, and most of it all to keep myself reminded. Like I said, I don't want to forget that I'm an alcoholic. I often ask myself the question, am I grateful enough for this way of life that I'm living in a day and age where this program is here for me to hang on to? Abraham Lincoln once said to one of his uh, soldiers laying under a tree drunk, I said, I hope you drunks get together someday and talk this thing over. And here we have it. Are we grateful enough? Are we grateful? Am I grateful enough? <clears throat> Looking back over my life, I know definitely I would have never made the great without the help of you wonderful people in the schoolroom of AA. At the age of 16, I had my first trial with alcohol. 
One Sunday afternoon, a bunch of us boys, we got into my uncle's cider bill. Now, this was my first try. Without sled riding. I took a couple rounds of good hard cider, and I got the twinkle on my finger, and I got up in that pink cloud. Ooh, brother, this is real. Where had I been? I missed a lot of things. We went out sled riding. We came back after the second round, and I made a complete pig out of myself right there. From then on out, then I got drunk, too. And from then on out, for the next 24 years, I could never take a drink of alcohol and go about my business. In my way of thinking, that's the borderline for an alcoholic. The guy that can take a drink or two and go about his business is not an alcoholic, in my way of thinking. But I never seen today. I don't say I was born alcoholic. That's the least of my worries. Like Fred Retzel from Akron says, establish a fact in your mind that you are an alcoholic and go on. Why quabble? I'm glad I'm an alcoholic. Not glad of the things that I've done. But if, if it took all the misery and the heartaches and the ups and downs for me to become eligible for this program, friends, it's worth it all. One writer in the grapevine said, the program is free, but the admission fee was so costly. It took a lot of money to get here. Not only money, the misery and the heartaches, oh, brother. For this simple reason, I'm glad I'm an alcoholic. The man and woman that's never been down in the slums and the filths and the gutter of alcoholism cannot appreciate life what you and I can. To wake up in the morning with that deep sense of gratitude and thanks be to God for another chance to live again, then to see that beautiful sun come up and say, Good morning, God, instead of waking up in the morning and say, Good God, is it morning already? <laughs> yes. Why shouldn't I be so grateful, so grateful? In February of 1930, we got married. From 1930 to 1940, I was a drunken farmer. A lot of things happened I'm not going to tell you about. A lonely drinker. Ninety percent of my drinking I done all by myself. Because it was too hard a job to keep myself supplied instead of fattening it off for someone else. The second year of our marriage, I'm not proud of these things, but it's my story and I have to put up with it. The second year of our marriage, we moved home to my wife's parents. I soon discovered mother-in-law could make good home brew and homemade wine. I couldn't leave it alone. I drank it just like it belonged to me. The second year we lived at home, mother-in-law got me to put a barrel of cider away for vinegar. She never got any vinegar. No. Now, never once in the 24 years of my drinking did I plan to get drunk or did I want to get drunk. I don't say I always got drunk, but I could never, never stop. And one drink never seemed the day that one drink satisfied me. Now, some people maybe drink 5, 10, 15, 20 years before they cross that invisible borderline where alcohol comes in obsession. But not me. From the very start go, I was an alcoholic. So that's the thing for me to accept, that I am an alcoholic and go on from there. <coughs> I like the guy, like I said, I, I never planned to get drunk. And I, I like the guy that said, went to the liquor store and asked for uh, squirrel whiskey. No, we have no squirrel whiskey, but we got old crow. And he said, no. He said, I don't want to fly. I just want to jump around a little. That's the way I look. <laughs> <laughs> By 1940, I had ranked myself completely under the table financially. I was financially bankrupt, as low as low. From 1940 on, my main drink was tokay and white pork. Make me shiver to think about them dry heaves in the morning. Ooh, brother. Ooh. Oh, man, I don't want to forget them. Them awful hangover, like the writer in the grapevine said, what a hangover is. Something to occupy the head that wasn't used the night before. I had a lot of them. Mm, by 1945, 46, and the first half of 1947, the last two and a half years of my drinking, the sober days was far and far between. I don't say I was completely drunk every day, but saturated. Couldn't do without it. I took a lot of inventory in the morning after a terrific hangover. Couldn't remember blackouts and what have you. Where's this, where's this thing going to wound up at? Well, tomorrow I'll do something about it. But you know the story. Then in the last year of my drinking, I discovered that I was hooked. What would take place if I go one single day without alcohol? Your nurse would crack up. Oh, there was a lot of ups and downs between me and my wife, the 17 years of our marriage and my drinking. But this drinking business of mine, 
How many times I came home, my wife would say, yeah, and shape urine again. Well, so I have a couple bottles of beer, you know. Tongue all twisted up, couldn't even talk straight. But I didn't tell her how much wine and gin I consumed. We didn't do like the young couple that got married. They decided if there's going to be any friction or confusion in between them, instead of going into a rampage, you know, they'd go for a walk, get some good fresh air all by themselves. And the outcome of it was to lift to a ripe old age because they got a lot of fresh air. But we didn't do that. <coughs> the middle of May of 1947, one evening I went to bed and I, got, I came to the dead end of my road. I was like the prodigal sunset. I will arise. I was done with myself. Somebody's prayers was answered. I came out in the room and said, Mom, I'm licked. I have to do something about my drinking. I believe she almost fell over backwards. She never heard a remark out of me like that before. Oh, if I got too stinking drunk, couldn't lie out of it. It had to be the chair. My wife said, Well, what do you want to do? I said, Go to some hospital. Try to get a start to get away from alcohol. Then never touch it again. I don't remember making that last remark, but I have to believe my wife, for she was sober and I was not. Well, by the grace of God and the help of you people in this school room, I've been successful one day at a time. But, friends, let me tell you, I barely stayed sober with the program. What on God's green earth would I have done without the program? I have no doubt in my mind. I am too much of a weakling to stay sober between me and my God alone, and furthermore, I don't want to. Look at all the wonderful friends that I have. Like a preacher said one time, well, what have you fellows in AA got that the churches haven't got? Results, love, and action. How true. How true. Through a neighbor of mine, we found out about a man in, in, in Worcester, Ohio, that was sober five weeks ahead of me, the blacksmith. On the first day of June, me and my wife went to Worcester. We never heard of AA. We got a hold of this address. The man was sober. See, power and example. We went to Western. We got this address, and this was Broad Street Home in Columbus, run by Forrest Johnson and Al Schweitzer. In the evening, at about sundown on the first day of June, we walked into that home, me and my wife. The first words I asked Al Schweitzer when he met us at the door, I said, is this the place where they cure drunks? Then he asked a bunch of questions about my drinking. He told me part of lie. I told him part of lie and part of truth, and he pronounced me an alcoholic. I never heard that before. To me, it was a polished word for a drunk. Brother, sick baby. Oh, brother. That toque and white port. Any skid roll bum, any cigarette and I was. Believe me, I feel for him. The second day in the hospital was the first time I ever heard of AA. How grateful. And it wouldn't have been for this neighbor that came to visit my daddy-in-law at the right ten minutes' time, I'd have went to Cleveland for a cutie cure. And God only knows where would I be today. I always say that man was sent by God to show me this way of life. Well, I came home from the hospital, the second day in the hospital was the first time I ever heard of AA. And the first handle I grabbed the whole of the hospital was this 24-hour business, which made a lot of sense. I came home. Before I left, I asked Johnson, well, how long will this be till this craving will leave me for alcohol? He said, working on a 24-hour basis, someday it'll come easier. That was my greatest draw I took home from the hospital. I came home and I was in Sue's. I told my wife, if this thing works, we're going to tell others. But going to a meeting, I don't believe I would have ever attended an AA meeting. Even my sponsor wouldn't have drove ten miles to invite me to that first meeting. How well it was dressed at the hospital. Meetings, meetings. But it did not soak through this sick skull of mine. But that made an impression that somebody would go out of their way to do something for me without being paid for. On the 20th day of June, 1947, me and my wife attended our first AA meeting in Worcester, Ohio. What I liked, my sponsor took me right up in the front row, and brother, I didn't like that no how. I don't know what they're going to do. But what I liked at that first meeting, the welcome they gave me, the handshake. These guys had a million-dollar smile on their face. They had something that I longed for, that I wanted. So I kept going back. They had... Now, I'll tell you what took place after I was sober four and a half years. I'm not proud of this. I got on a dry drunk. lasted about two months. The thing that almost throws me is the things that I still have to watch so close today, and that is resentment and self-pity. To me, it's dynamite for an alcoholic. Resentment and self-pity. I still 
After what's so great, so easy for me to root up a whole mess of self-pity and feeling so sorry for myself. One morning as I got up and was putting on my shoes, the serenity prayer came to my mind. Accept the things you cannot change. I can't change my wife or this guy. Only one guy that I can change, and that is myself. With that thought in mind and encouragement of my wife, I went back to my meetings. It proved to me that I cannot skimp along the guardrails of AA. If there is any newer person here this morning, give it a good try. You have nothing to lose. I think here's a little book that should be in every alcoholic's home. This is my way of thinking. You don't have to agree with you. If the shoe fits, wear it. If you don't fit, don't try to wear it. I like the, about this program. <clears throat> we pick out what, what we like, what we can handle, what you Like the guy said, when we go to a supermarket, we just buy what we need. The 24-hour book says... The AA way of life is not the only way for an alcoholic to sober up and stay sober, but it's by far the best and the easiest way. I buy that hook, line, and sinker. I found another hand. That's a lot of handles in here. This morning reading, they mentioned about our homework. How am I doing my homework? Another handle. When we found AA, we found out that we're not such queer birds, lonely wolves. We found friends. We found somebody that understands us. Some time ago, I had one at the shop... And while at home, sometime ago on Monday morning, I went to work, you know. Me and my financial bills was pressing me, and I didn't know how I was going to make ends meet, you know. And me and my wife wasn't hitting on all four, you know. And, and I went to work, and I read my 24-hour book, and it said, God will never give anybody any more than he's able to bear. It was exactly what I needed. So if there's any newer person here tonight, this morning, give it a good try. You have nothing to lose. Don't try to grab this program all overnight. We didn't get this way all overnight. No. It took me 24 years beating my head against that stone wall. You don't have to be an everyday drinker to be a, an alcoholic. No. It's not the amount of what we drink or where we drink or how long we drink. It's what alcohol does to you. I cannot guarantee my behavior if I take one drink of alcohol. Alcohol takes over. I'm not myself. I know of a man that drinks three bottles of beer and goes haywire and a man is in a program. So it's not the amount. Three bottles, three barrels. It's not the amount of what we drink. It's what alcohol... I like what one writer said, if you're doubtful whether you are an alcoholic, he said, fill 32 one-ounce glasses of whiskey and set them on a shelf and drink one every day. <laughs> one. Who wants one? <laughs> Not me. Not me. So give it a good try. You have nothing to lose. A journey of a thousand miles has to start with one step. Someone said, well, I don't like the... Don't like the meeting. Somebody gives you a cold shoulder at the meeting. Keep going. That never stopped us from going to the bar. They didn't know, sir. I never went up to the bar door and said, Hey, there's a guy in there that I don't like. Bring me a drink out here. Never. <laughs> About a power greater than yourself, sure, there must be a power. There is no doubt in my mind. Some time ago at the shop, one of the boys asked me, he said, Most... <clears throat> I don't believe there is a God. I said, do you ever hear George Washington and Abraham Lincoln? Oh, yeah, definitely. You believe they existed? Yeah. Did you see them? No. I said, how much more proof do we have that there is a God? Look at the sun, the moon, the wind, and the rain. Somebody's taking care of that. Like the guy that made a grain of wheat, the size to shape the color of the form, like a natural grain. He planted this grain of wheat, but it didn't grow. Why? Because it did not have no life. It is God that gives the life. you never seen, seen anybody that planted a rose bush out in midair and watched it grow. Takes the good old Mother Earth. I like what Clem Lane from Chicago said about this 24-hour program business. That is one of the greatest things that helped me, this 24-hour business, one day at a time. He said, if I have a board 365 feet long, he said, nobody can lift that board, but let me cut that board into one foot length. It's not hard, one day at a time. I like that. Yesterday's gone. That's water over the dam. That's a canceled check. Tomorrow is only a promissory note. 
And I never got drunk tomorrow. Today is the day I got drunk. So today is a full-time job for me. This is a training school to prepare myself from problems to arise. They do. Sure they do. Life is not all a bed of roses. It was, these last 19 and a half years was not all a bed of roses. Not by all means. But I have to remember what the writer in the grapevine said. If I have four problems, I get drunk, I got five. And God only knows how many more. <laughs> it merely irrigates my problems or multiplies them. I like what the 24-hour book says. Each day I like to grow a little bit in spite of my stumbling feet. Some days I wonder whether I'm growing or not. Or which way I'm going backwards or forward. But because I don't bring my life where I want to, is it going to help me any to throw everything overboard? Well, what's the use? But now after coming in the program, I cannot sit down and take it easy. Easy does it, yes. But we have to do something about it. The little 24-hour book says, get out of your easy chair and get going. Go to a lot of meetings. Meeting, meeting. God is my doctor. This meeting is my medicine, my way of thinking. I read a quotation in the grapevine <clears throat> about taking it easy. And the guy was sitting at his desk, had his feet up on his desk, had his arms folded, and the boss came in and said, I appreciate your sobriety, but don't you think you're a little bit overdoing it this easy, does it? <laughs> so nothing grows where the sun always shines. Another writer said, well, that's part of life. This too shall pass. When a plant stops growing, and nothing grows where the sun always shines. The thing is to keep trying, to keep going, to keep doing something about it. That's the, the thing. The four absolutes, I think, makes a good foundation to build this house of sobriety. And I think the key to the whole program is honesty. We manufacture our own key. I cannot ask someone else to get honest for me. No, I have to work on that. On my, the big book says the three essential words for an alcoholic to work on is honesty, willing, and open-mindedness. I think the key, like I said, the key to the whole program is honesty. Willingly, just as important to have an open mind as to stay away from that first drink. Like the guy said, well, I went to the meeting the other night and I didn't get a thing out of that meeting. Well, maybe he didn't bring anything long to put something in. <laughs> maybe I'm like, like the little boy came home from school one day and father asked him, son, you been a good boy today? No. Been a bad boy? No. Well, what then? I was just comfortable, see? <laughs> so if I get down in the dumps, which I do... All I have to do is look down on Skid Row. Look at the man on, down in the gutter. He's still not sober. Am I grateful enough? Am I grateful enough? Dr. Bob said in the big book in his story, I must keep schooling myself. I owe a debt to this program. And he sums it all up into two words, the whole program, love and service. Keep schooling myself. Put me in mind of the little boy came home from school and father asking, <clears throat> what did you learn today? Not much. I have to go back tomorrow. So that's what I have to do. Sure, I can get drunk again. There's no doubt in my mind. But do I have another recovery coming? That's the same. And after all, what did alcohol ever give me back in my drinking days? Did I ever wake up in the morning with a terrific hangover that I had a better job, better wife, more money in my pocket? <laughs> drink trouble, drink trouble. This is my life, and it's a matter between life or death. Sure, I love to go to church. I love to hear a good sermon, which I do faithfully. Yes, they even made me a Sunday school teacher. But I love to go to my AA meeting because here I can lay my hair down, so to speak, and I couldn't talk to you. To you, that you understand me. That's two main reasons why this program works, because we have something in common. We understand one another. The second thing, that warm fellowship, which you do not find that close fellowship any other place than you do in AA, because we've all been down, and we know what it is to come back up again. This program is nothing we can buy wrapped up in a package in a grocery store. We have to work for it. We have to do something about it. Nothing, uh, we can't go and buy a bottle of AA and set it up on a shelf and go and take a slug of AA once in a while. No. I put forth a lot of effort to keep that bottle around. I'm running a race with John Bollycorn today. 
And if I stop running, he's going to catch up with me. Then what? This is a serious thing. Some people grumble because the roses have thorns. Why we should be so grateful that the thorns have roses. What's my attitude in life? Can I only see the thorns or can I see the beauty of the roses? <coughs> Dr. Bob has four points in a big book why he works the program. Number one, it's a sense of duty. Where's a greater sense of duty of mine? It's to go to these meetings. Like I said, God is my doctor. These meetings is my medicine. First of all, to keep myself refreshed and reminded. These meetings is just like the generator on my battery of my car. To keep me refreshed. That I am an alcoholic and I always will be one. Then to be available for that new man or woman. Where would I be if everybody went on a vacation six months before I came to the dead end of my road? Am I grateful enough? Am I grateful enough for this way of life? Number two... It's a pleasure. Where can I go to have a greater enjoyment than go to an AA meeting? Because here, are, like I said, here are my friends that understands me. Number two, number three, somebody took time out to help me when I was ready. Number four, like the, uh, it's insurance. Like the April 16th and 17th of the 24-hour book says, every time we go to an AA meeting, we're taking out a little bit more insurance policy to guard against that first thing. <coughs> this program is happiness... I found a quotation in the 24-hour book. Happiness is something you acquire. Happiness is a byproduct of love and service. And another writer said, happiness is something you acquire when you're too busy to be miserable. If I help the man across the river on a boat, I'll get there too. And as long as I keep busy with both hands on the oars, I won't have time to rock the boat, will I? No. Soon the 16s on the 24-hour book said, faith is not the whole story. There must be service. We must give this thing away when we keep it. The Dead Sea is stagnant and full of salt, but the Sea of Galilee is clear and clean and blue as the Jordan River carries it into the life of others. The service to others gives me a real purpose in life. That's on June the 16th. I think the whole program sums it all up into this one story of the rich young lady been going to the doctor time and time and again. All was wrong with the, la- with the lady. She had too much time and money on her hands. Finally, the doctor told her and said, Over there is a young girl trying to take care of, a- of an old couple. You're going to help that young girl to manage life, not to work. If they need any clothes or food, send for it and send me the bill. That was the doctor's orders. The young lady went over there and she seen the need and she pitched right in. She helped to do the work and sent for the things they needed and paid the bill herself. Forgot all about she was sick. By giving of ourselves, we are helping ourselves. Faith is the key that unlocks the storehouse of God's resource. I found that in here. Faith is the key that unlocks the storehouse of God's resource. Faith without works is dead. I read a story on faith. A little boy was sitting by the roadside on a cloudy day. Flying a kite. The man came along and said, Son, what you doing? He said, I'm flying a kite. The man looked up and said, I can't see nothing. The little boy said, I can't either, but I feel it tugging away. He had all of the strength. <laughs> so this, we'll never know what for, how, what for useful channel we can be just by staying sober. The action. Action talk louder than words. We'll never know who's watching us. And be grateful and thankful. Be thankful every day. Not wait till Thanksgiving Day. Like the pig going along eating acorn all day long. He never takes time to look up where they come from. Am I grateful enough for this way of life to overhaul my gratitude? Can I sit at home in an easy rocking chair and say I'm grateful? Gratitude demands expression. I read a story. <clears throat> we'll never know who's watching us. I read a story in the, in the brighter side. A man was sober nine months. He got the feeling he should pass this thing on. One Sunday afternoon, he went to a hangout where he used to hang out. There's two guys laying on the floor, two guys laying on the, in a bed, and one guy laying in the bathtub, looped through the guilt. But one guy, he got finally woke up, and he told him what he found. He left the place he thought he didn't do a bit of good. 
Six months later, a man came up to uh, to him at an AA meeting and said, You remember me? He said, yeah, No. Remember that Sunday afternoon? He said, I sure do. And he said, Well, I was under the bed. <laughs> so you'll never know. I have a choice today. I have a choice to stay sober and I have a choice to get drunk. There was a day and many, many days that I didn't have, did not have no choice. It was a must for me to get, get up and take a drink because I could not navigate without a drink. How grateful. This feeling good in the morning. I still think of it many mornings. Breathing in the good fresh air. Thank God I'm sober. Then to be able to sit down to a breakfast table and eat an egg instead of gagging at it. How grateful. How grateful. If I don't drink today, I won't eat one tomorrow. Service, like one man said, service is my room rent here on this earth. To help someone else. Like one guy said, the guy that is all wrapped up in himself makes a very small package. How true. Very small package. What you seek, you will not find unless you share it. I met a man in Charity Hospital some years ago in Cleveland. It was a few, four or five years of sobriety on his belt and he went overboard. I had a nice talk with him. <clears throat> I said, you have the 24-hour book, yes, but I hadn't had it open for a couple years. You know, I would have never, never broke the seal on the bottle when I never got drunk. Humility, what is it? I don't know. If I tell you I'm humbled, that's the time I've lost it. <clears throat> but I know it's the opposite of Mr. Big Shot or Big Eyes who so has to work towards that goal. Like one writer said, when the head begins to swell, the mind stops growing. Looking down somebody else's pathway, I've got a full-time job to keep this uh, old soap on the right track. If I touch the beats of others and the things to do and say when I cannot understand myself, the things that I do each day, that's me. The Indian from Youngstown, God rest his soul, he was a very close friend of mine. He used to say three things about gossip. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? In any line of God, I'm not perfect. I read a mother one time said the biggest business a man could get into is take care of his own. You know, the only guy who has any success running other people down is the elevator boy. <laughs> Them are the things I must keep in mind. <clears throat> Put a value on my sobriety. How grateful. Am I grateful enough? It's not so much in life what I want, it's what I need. How grateful. I read a story of a little refugee girl was picked up by a party, cleaned up and dressed up and set on a high chair, given a glass of milk. And this little girl said, how much of this can I have? Here we're living in a land where we've got milk and honey. Am I grateful enough for this way of life? Now a few words yet about prayer. <coughs> Maybe I need a drink right now. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. <coughs> I appreciate this nice crowd, not because I'm blowing off steam, not by all means, but what I'm so grateful that there's evidence and proof here that you're willing to do something about staying sober. That's the beauty of it all. The hundreds and thousands and millions of people that have traveled the same road as you and I but never been as fortunate enough to find what you and I have for. Am I grateful enough? Someone came up at the meeting just recently and said that history tells us the downfall of Sodom and Gomorrah with alcohol. Way back. Prayer. It's another great thing in my life. <clears throat> How do I use prayer? Just when I get in a tight spot, all confused and upset, 
Like a spare tire, like a fire escape. Or like the guy that got drunk. Or the guy that was out on the lake fishing fishing one day and a storm come up. So he started to pray and said, Now, God, I haven't bothered you for 20 years. If you help me out of this, I'll not bother you anymore. <laughs> one man said, Prayer is the key to God's treasure house. The good book says, Ask and you shall receive. If I want to uh, borrow my neighbor's lawnmower, I wouldn't go over and grab it, would it? I'd ask for it. Ask and you shall receive. One man said, Prayer is a vitamin for the soul. Another man said, it's just as important to dress up your mind as it is to dress up your body, to tune in with God. God is just as close as you let him. Talk to your God same as you talk to your fellow man. Prayer is the key to God's treasure house. To be balanced between prayer and action. I could lay down here on the floor and you could do all the praying you want to, but if I don't use some of my own God-giving strength, I'll be still laying there, won't I? To be balanced. Like Ann Crawford from Niles says, you want to pray for potatoes, reach for a hoe. Do something about it. not so much what I say when I'm down on my knees that counts. It's what I'll do when I'm on my feet. Action talks louder than words. There's times when the best form of a prayer is action. The good Samaritan, I believe he prayed, but he put forth action too, didn't he? Yes. To give God my undivided attention, like the man that went into a telephone booth after night and he was looking all around for the light and he couldn't find it. Another man came by, seen this problem and said, close the door and the light will come on. To give God my undivided attention. I like the old Negro's prayer. Oh, Lord, help me to remember that nothing can happen today that you and I cannot handle. One more in the line of prayer. <clears throat> the blind man that was healed in the good book, the master didn't tell him, open your eyes, you're healed. No. He took a handful of clay and he smeared over his eyes and said, now go to the pool and wash. Do something about it. God will do the impossible. It's up for us to do the possible. Now I'm eating meetings. I cannot stress enough on meetings. <clears throat> I've seen some tragedy, tragedy things take place <clears throat> in my 19 and a half years. The men and women that took their last chance. Two down on Art Snyder kept a record in the vicinity of Youngstown. Some years ago, a men and women that had a good taste of this wonderful way of life. In 14 months' time, 19 of them took their last chance. This is serious. The matter between life. I picked up a quotation in Cleveland that long ago, which is very, very serious to me, and I want to pass it on. Yale University do a lot of research on alcoholism. They picked out 100 men in AA that had that had a period of sobriety, and they was going to ask them three questions. <clears throat> the first question was, "Did you attend meetings?" 92 out of the 100 said no. The next question was, "How is your spiritual angle on the program?" No good. The last question never come up because they had them all. I read a quotation in the grapevine some time ago. How often should a man or woman go to these meetings? In the beginning, should go to all the meetings they can. How long should I go? How long do you want? How long do you want to stay sober? To me, that carries a lot of weight, man. A lot of weight. This is my life, and I don't want to lose it. My first speaker said, you want to keep dry, keep in dry places. That's still good for me. Anything that I want to buy, I can get any other place outside of a bar. Or to have a bottle of alcohol in my cubby hole or in my icebox. No. One writer said, I'd just soon have a tiger tied in my backyard as a bottle of booze. Same here. Or if a sponsor man, he needs a drink, sure, I'll buy him a drink. 
One writer said, I don't go to a bar drinking a Coke to find out how strong I am. Them swinging doors and them neosciences, there's no parking here for me. It's just another step in that direction. One of her Hydral boys, about eight years ago, was hospitalized, came home from the hospital, doing wonderful, helped to put up chairs, doing a wonderful job. But on the way home from work, he always stopped in at the, his old hangout. I said, stay in right places. If you play with fire, you're likely to get burned. Oh, he said, I love to pitch horseshoe and I love to play poker with the old gang. I drink seven up in Coke. Ninety-one days he lasted. He reached for something stronger. Shortly after that, he was hospitalized again. Make a long story short, he's still not back in the program. Not to ridicule him. I feel sorry. Bill Dodson, the third man of this program, said he was 19 and a half years when he died. Sober. I heard he meet many leads. Making many leads. Someone had asked him, how long should a man go to these meetings? Bill said, I don't know. I don't want to gamble. The time to go to an AA meeting is a time when I don't feel like going. Wasn't that the time I needed to drink the most when I was down in the dumps? Yes. Staying sober is only down payment. In this program, there's so much more than staying sober. The enjoyment of life. I believe I must say the last 10, 12, 14 years of my drinking, the first thoughts I had in the morning when I woke up, whether I was stone sober or not, do I have anything to drink today? Today, I don't have to think of I think, can think of my wonderful friends, think about God and my good friends. How wonderful it is to be sober. But I don't want to forget to be grateful. <coughs> this is a serious program. Excuse me. <coughs> Someone has said maybe there are no must in AA, but there's a lot of better bees. A lot of better bees. Read March the 8th in a little 24-hour book. There's seven must. Read August the 4th, there's seven must. August the 6th, we need a refilling every day. We eat every day to keep our body going. I met a man in, in St. Thomas Hospital some years ago, 16 years in the program. I always like to get close to them guys, where they made a miscue or where, where they goofed. I asked this man, what happened? He was in pajamas again. Well, I said, I got too busy to read my upper room, and, and I didn't go to any meetings, and here I am. I met another man 11 years in the program in St. Thomas Hospital some years ago. What happened? Well, they said I was drinking sweet silent. I said I got hard and I forgot to stop drinking. <laughs> I said, had you been to any meetings lately? Hadn't been to a meeting for a long time. Action. Action. Like the little boy that fell out of bed one night and father asked him, son, what happened? Well, I got too close to the edge. I don't want to get too close. I read a story talking about action. I read a story in a long ago on action. He said... God furnished all the feet for the birds, but he will not put it into their nest. I put forth a lot of effort to keep that bottle. If I put forth one-tenth the effort to try to keep sober, as I try to keep that bottle rolling, I'm going to make it. This waking up in the morning, chiseling, conniving, stealing bag and bar, how to get that next supply, even stole my own chicken behind my wife's bag. <laughs> so life is not all the better roses. I like what one guy said... If everything would be too rosy, remember, you might be going downhill. How often you hear the weather's too cold or too hot? I don't believe I go to meetings. Did that ever stop me from going, from going out and get a bottle? I recall in the early 40s one evening, I walked 10 miles for a bottle. Would I walk 10 miles for an AA meeting? I seen a Skid Row film some years ago in AA. Chicago Skid Row. And some cold winter mornings, as high as 30 of them did. How grateful should I be? 
How grateful. <clears throat> Someone has said he used to think the hardest thing in life was to get up and talk, but it's not. It's living God's program. How true. Action talk louder than work. But before the, but in the mind of the story, the two guys were out on the lake fishing one Sunday morning. One guy said, you know, I should have went to church this morning. After all, I couldn't have went anyhow. My wife was sick. <laughs> am I doing my duty? Am I willing to go the second mile or am I too tired to go the first mile? Any dead fish can swim down the river, but it takes a live one to swim up. Action. Action is a magic word. Like the man said, it's not the toot of the whistle that pulls the train. It takes action. Like the guy that went to church every night, and the guy asked him, how sick neighbor? He said, I don't know. I, I'd sooner see a sermon than hear one any time. Well, getting time to close. About five more minutes, I'll keep my big mouth shut. <laughs> I didn't know when to stop drinking. I don't, don't know when to stop talking. <laughs> I led a meeting in Columbus some years ago, and it was getting ready to start the meeting. I overheard two women say, Yeah, he's long-winded. <laughs> How often you hear the remark, Oh, it gets boring, gets monotonous to go to these AA meetings, hear these old drunken stories over and over again. I heard that guy so many times, I know he'll leap backwards. Well, so what? <coughs> After all, how many hours did you and I spend at the bar? And here's the beauty of it all. We don't have to shake off a hangover to listen to somebody's story. The mornings that I woke up, oh, so sick, so sick. Some mornings that I don't even remember when or how I got in bed. Some mornings I couldn't find that eye opener, which I was so desperately in need of, you know. Some mornings the wife had that silent treatment on me. Some mornings it was not the silent treatment, you know. <laughs> like the guy that come home one evening, he was all soused up and said, Oh, I wish my wife would be in bed so she wouldn't know how drunk I'm again. By all means, she was. So he sneaks in the house and sticks off his clothes and shoes and sneaks in the bed and turns his back towards his wife. Got it made. Just ready to doze off and go to sleep. And his wife spoke up and said, You don't have to turn your back. You're so clear through. <laughs> That's the way I've been a many, many times. Soaked to the gills. Now, a few words yet about thinking. This is a thinking program. We get out of the thinking business into the drinking business into the thinking business. My mind is my garden. My thoughts are my seeds. What am I going to harvest? Either flowers or weeds. I can't help but to have evil thoughts enter my mind. Same as a flock of birds will fly over my head. But I can prevent them birds from building nests in my hair. <laughs> Same way with an evil thought. The right train of thought will take me to a better station in life. As a man thinketh so easy. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. I heard of a speaker say, It's so much easier to do good as to be good. Oh, that hit me right between the eyes. In time, I'm in my home. I'm too much in a moody side, a sour side, a little sharp word sharp act before I catch myself. That's me. I don't want to be that way, but that's me. Temper makes a man speak his mind where he should be minding his speech. I read a model one time that the biggest, the largest room there is is room for improvement, and that's me. This is a program of cultivation. I read a story. <clears throat> the man and woman moved into a house where nobody had been living in for a long time. The next morning they woke up, they looked down in the yard. 
high grass and rubbish and weeds, but the middle of all this was a nice great big red rose. They followed the root of this rose for nine feet over into the neighbor's cultivated garden. This is a program of cultivation. We have to keep doing something about it. There's no getting around it. The man or woman that has trouble in the program, don't be afraid to come back. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Let no failure be final. Don't let the glamour of AA wear off. If I point a finger at him or her, I got three of them pointing back at me. The only time I have any right to look down on my fellow man when it's too over to give him a lift. Back in school days, if I had arithmetic test and spelling test and that flung, did I stop going to school? Of course not. Keep coming back. There was a young boy that was such a good skater. He was asked, what makes you such a good skater? Well, he studied a little and said, well, maybe this because I always get up and try again. That's the thing they got. Try, try again. There was a, a doctor in the grapevine. I was sober ten years. He laid down on the job, didn't go to his meetings, didn't, didn't leave his meetings. Finally, he got drunk. In the hospital, he landed. Two thoughts came to me. God forgives, and AA will take me back. Where else can we go? Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Bill Weir from Salem, Ohio, a couple years ago on a cold winter morning, had a telephone call from one of his friends. He said, come over, I'm drunk. <coughs> Bill said, oh, it's snowy, slippery, hard to travel. Couldn't you wait till morning? No, I want you right now. So Bill said, okay, I'll be over. So he hung up the receiver. And he was putting on his shoes, but he was a mumbling and a grumbling. Oh, brother, do I have to go out in this kind of weather? His wife uh, spoke up and said, which end of the line would you sooner be? How much better to stay sober than sober. Which end of the line would you sooner be? Now, it's these small things in my daily walk of life that I have to watch the most. Regardless of how small, I have to take care of them as they come. I cannot afford to leave them pile up. I'm not perfect. All long ways from perfect. If you don't believe it, you ask my wife sometime. <laughs> but I have to work. Um, one of our Canton boys, some years ago, after quite a number of years of sobriety under his belt, went overboard. When he got back in the program, me and him had a nice heart-to-heart -heart talk. He said, it wasn't the big things that throwed me, it was these little petty things. My wife don't appreciate me any anymore, and I kept building up, and bingo, I got drunk. Enough little threads can make a cable. One writer in the grapevine said, you never heard of anybody tripping over Pike's Peak. <laughs> it's these small things, my daily walk of life, I have to watch. I do a little painting in summertime, try to make ends meet. <clears throat> I still have financial problems, but I can face these problems. That's the beauty of it all. I'm so grateful. There's nobody that I have to sidetrack or hide behind a bottle or for cover over. No. I'm not perfect. No. Not by all means. Here a couple of years ago, I painted a trim job for an old lady in the evening after work and Sunday and Saturday afternoons. So the next year, I was down in the na same neighborhood painting again, and, uh, and the woman came down and said, uh, Come down and look at my spoutings. They look terrible. So I went down, and these uh, square spoutings, and as they come up on top, there's a little flat ledge of about three quarters of an inch wide. I recall when I painted, and I said, I'm not going to waste my paint and time painting that little ledge there. Nobody will see that but God, and he won't tell on me, but he did. <laughs> that little edge wasn't painted, then it rusted, and when it rained, that rust water ran down over these nice white spouting. Ooh, it didn't look terrible. So I told the lady, it's my fault. I tell you what I'll do. I'll paint all your spouting, and I won't charge you a penny. You should have seen that million-dollar smile in them sparkling eyes if I would have told you for... Told her maybe for $20, I'll paint him again. I would have never got that. So it's these small things. I'm going to tell you one more in the line of these small things. I'm not proud of these things, but there are things that I have to watch. Like I said, I'm not perfect. 
A couple of years ago, over at Hardville, outside of Hardville, they have a farm produce sale, uh, livestock sale, and they have a lot of produce trucks. And one Monday I came home from work and I said, I'm going over and pick up some raw pineapples to can. Well, why, I mean, there was a neighbor woman there that her husband had run off and left her two small boys to raise. This woman said, uh, bring me a couple of pineapples. So I went over and I bought a bunch for us and a couple for her. But I picked out the two smallest ones for her. I'm, in, I'm entitled. I've done the work. But, you know, I couldn't forget that. You old louse. That poor... <laughs> that poor woman tried to raise them boys, and you treat her like that. Every time I've seen a pineapple, I've thought of it, and every time I've seen a woman, i thought of it. <laughs> so sometime later, I came home from work. I stopped at the sale barn, and one of the first things I seen was a pineapple. You go and buy a couple of pineapples and take it over and tell you what you've done. Oh, that hurts my pride. What would she think of me? Well, you old louse, you're the, you're the one that done the dirty work. And I didn't. Then I could erase it from my mind. I'm not perfect. Long ways from perfect. So I'm just going to tell you one more story, and I'll keep my big mouth shut. I told you I talked too much. A couple of years ago, one of her girls graduated from high school, and the, this minister that had charge of this graduation class, when he got up in the pulpit, he said, I don't know what I'm going to talk about tonight. He said, I do not see a little red-headed boy in the crowd. He said, I delivered a sermon one time at a church, and after church was over, I was at the door greeting everybody. Up come a little red-headed boy and shook hands with him and said, You talk too long. And he got in line again. You talk too loud. And he got in line again. And then you didn't say nothing. And he got in line again. The preacher said, There comes that little boy again. I'm coming, getting out of here. Somebody said, Pay no attention to that little boy. He's mentally unbalanced. He's just out there in the crowd picking up what the other people are saying. Friends, friends, it's wonderful. Am I grateful enough for this way of life? I want to thank you for giving me this privilege. I'm a, not versus to have this great privilege, this great opportunity to be in front of this nice crowd here this morning. But it's a pleasure. And of myself, I'm nothing without the power greater than myself. So I want to thank you for listening to me. And in closing, I'm just going to close that little prayer of gratitude. Oh, Lord, thou has given us so much. Give us one thing more. Give us a grateful heart. Thank you. Join me in the Lord's prayer. <coughs> Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.